entrepreneurs will save the world. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. We focus on the mindset shifts entrepreneurs make to increase their influence and impact in the world. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope called The Dose of Hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You will see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at addvalue2life.com slash dose. addvalue2life.com slash dose. Our guest today is Stephanie Stuckey. Stephanie is the CEO of Stuckey's, the highway oasis that's been serving pecan log rolls and kitschy souvenirs to road trippers since 1937. Founded by her grandfather, W.S. Stuckey Sr. in Eastman, Georgia, Stuckey's grew into over 350 stores nationwide by its peak in the 1970s. The company was sold in 1964 and sadly declined for decades under a series of corporate owners. Fortunately, Stuckey's is now in family hands again and making a comeback with a mission to make road trips fun. When she's not running the Stuckey's Candy and Pecan Shelling Plant in Rens, Georgia, or the distribution operations in Eastman, Georgia, Stephanie enjoys traveling by car to explore the back roads of America and pulling over for every roadside oddity and souvenir shop along the way. Stephanie Stuckey and Robert talk about her taking over the family business after decades of neglect in corporate hands. She's committed her life to reviving the business, supporting local growers, and creating a cultural revival of healthy snacks, all built around the only nut native to America, the pecan. She wants to make road trips fun and help families create memory. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time and look forward to a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I usually ask my guests, the first question is just to to share about their own entrepreneurial journey. And I know that uh, yours, I think yours is pretty exciting. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. So I'm a late in life entrepreneur. I bought my family's business when I was 53 years old, a few years ago. And I had the opportunity to buy the Stuckey's chain that my grandfather had started. It had fallen out of family hands for decades. And the current owners who were partners of my father's. My father got the company back in the 1980s, but he was running a bunch of other companies. Stuckey's was a bit of a side hustle for him because he had all these super profitable companies that were really the focus, rightfully so. And his business partners retired, as did my father, and then the company really started to flounder. And so about a decade after they all retired with only a couple of folks kind of running the company on a very shoestring budget and six figures in debt. They asked me if I wanted to buy Stuckey's. So that's how I got introduced to the world of entrepreneurship. Before then, I had been an attorney, practiced criminal defense law. Then I was a state representative in Georgia for 14 years. And then I was an environmental attorney and also head of sustainability for the city of Atlanta. So kind of a crazy career journey when you look at it. 
And I, people who can see, I've got this billboard on top of my head. I think I need to move just a little bit, but I do have a painting in my in my house. So I'm recording this at home of the of an old stocky store. And so people who remember our brand will recognize what the stores look like in the background there. The blue apron. And I've got a billboard on my head. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember the old blue A-frames. That's right. One side of the, the old what? The, the old blue A-frame. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that was one of the really smart things he did. And I think most entrepreneurs can recognize the value of branding. And my grandfather realized that if he was to be successful in the interstate real estate market and try to get people to pull over to his doors, he needed to have a real distinctive look. And so he went for the sloped roof and you would walk in those doors and it looks like an upside down ship. I mean, it was just magical. It's like the hull of a ship and just beautiful architecture and craftsmanship. Uh, this is back in the era when some of these retail locations were very well designed, even the chain stores. I and mean, you can still see there's very few of them left, but there's a few of the original Howard Johnson still standing. And I love to go see those stores. They have good, good bones, well-made. You do love you do love traveling and you do love finding the stories and sharing the stories and I love that about following you on LinkedIn and and seeing all these stories. It's part so, of the brand. Absolutely. So let's talk about that transition from from lawyer to politician to to entrepreneur and so what's been some of the biggest challenges in in starting this journey besides the company's giant hole of debt? Well, I think it's important to focus on the positive because it's so easy to come up with a gazillion negatives, especially when you're an entrepreneur rebuilding a brand. But in my journey, I focused not on the fact that I didn't have an MBA or hadn't run a business, but more on the skill sets that I had acquired throughout my career that I could apply. And having a law degree is a pretty helpful skill. So I can understand complex documents. I can break down issues and really try to understand how to solve them. That's what lawyers do all the time. I knew how to analyze. I knew how to argue and present and advocate. I learned that in trial work and also being a state representative. I knew how to advocate on behalf of the underdog. I usually was working for the underdog as a public defender and then as an environmental advocate. And now with Stuckey's, we're definitely a, a comeback brand. So those are all really super valuable skills. And then you recognize what you lack. And I don't have a strong business background. I don't have a strong finance background. I do my best and absolutely understand finance. You have to, or you shouldn't be in business, but I got a business partner who balances that out. So I think it's also important. Entrepreneurs can't do it alone. And so you complement your skill sets with others and not just the skill sets, but the emotion. And I have a very important assistant, which is my cat and she's a very calming influence when things get overwhelming. So she's actually an important part of the Stuckey's team. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I, I know that your grandfather started the brand literally on the side of the road with That's right. pecans. And, and I know that the pecan log roll is, is your big um, kind of the thing that Stuckey's is known yeah. for even more than the blue roof. That's right. And you've gone back to to take more control in that area and focus on on those. 
Yeah, that is how we're rebuilding the brand. So you focus on what works. And it's important when you think about what works to look at the metrics. It's easy to get emotionally attached if it's your own business and to know what you think the brand is about. But look at the metrics, look at what's selling, what SKUs are moving and what aren't and focus on those. And we saw pretty early on that the way we were really generating revenue for this company was frankly less so the stores, which we don't own or operate, but really the sale of product. And I happen to have one with me. This pecan log roll, we have been selling these since the 1930s. It's still our best seller. We sell the two ounce, the four ounce, the six ounce, the box and the big daddy 10 ounce. So that's working. And then also, Look at what the trends are, where are consumers headed in the space that you're in? And so in our space, in the food space, people are still buying candy. I think there will always be a place for things like candy and alcohol, but recognize that there are health trends and rarely do those health trends start going backwards. So people want to be healthy. And so we're looking at nuts as a huge part of our market segment as we grow the brand. We acquired a pecan shelling plant in addition to a candy plant. And so we're putting just as much energy into the healthy snack business of Stuckey's as we are into the candy side of operations. Having said that, I have found people love to talk skinny, but then they eat fat, right? <laughs> <laughs> they talk healthy and then they want to get candy. So it's all good. We're happy to provide them with that candy. And what I've done is made sure that the candy we provide is really super high quality. And we've upped our candy game when, with the acquisition of the candy plant to make sure we have only the freshest and best ingredients. We're really paying attention to the details and how we produce our candies. Oh, that's so good. And, and honoring, I, I just love how you can honor the history and at the same time, create new things to come alongside and, and, you know, move into the future in a smart way. That's what we're trying to do is respect the past, honor the past, but not live in it. Oh, it's absolutely. an important part of, of who we are and what our brand is. And we embrace the nostalgia, but we also want to move the brand forward because if all you do is embrace the customers that you knew in the 1950s and 60s, at some point you're going to run out of customers. <laughs> I'm afraid so. So let's talk about the, the value of, of connection in, in, stepping into this this big role and like you said the business was floundering and a lot of the connections have gone away a lot of the franchises have yeah. felt abandoned um and, and so let's share about the value of connection and rebuilding those connections yeah so i approached branding a lot like the way i approached politics because that is something i knew it was a comfort for me and in politics, you go to your base and you understand what your demographic is. So I'm an environmentalist and I also care about preserving and protecting neighborhood safety. So you kind of figure out who are the voters that are going to be attracted to that message, to what you're offering, to what you're selling. And so the same thing with Stuckey's, like, what is our base? So we started with the base and we still are working on that base. And those are our people who remember road tripping in the 19. 50s, 60s, 70s, and even early 80s, and remember stopping at our stores. But then we want to build from that. So I think it's important just to start on your strong suit and then expand from there, but also recognize that there's a certain segment of the population that's not going to like your brand. 
with very rare exception, is there going to be a brand that's just got universal appeal that everyone is going to want to buy what you're offering? So hone in on who's going to be your customer and uniquely wants what you have to offer. And that's what you focus on. Well, I mean, entrepreneurship, we call it the niche, right? You're finding, finding your niche that that loves what you do and, and wants to be your, your biggest fan. And and for you, obviously, the, the, the idea is we need another generation to, yes. to pick up, you know, the brand and, and fall in love with the brand and not get caught up in, in the dilapidated, you know, franchise stores that have been abandoned along the side of the road. Yes, I can't obsess on those. And well, just to pick up on that, so I'll have to change the pronunciation, but the riches are in the niches. I guess <laughs> you could say the reaches are in the niches. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But really it is like, what makes you special and different? Unless you want to play the high volume, low cost game, which is very hard to do if you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, the, the, the cost, you run yourself down to zero. Yes. <laughs> there will always be someone who can undercut you if, if you're small on price and on volume. So don't, don't play that game. <laughs> it, it's a losing proposition. Absolutely. So let's talk about the value um, that, that Stuckey's is trying to bring to the market. I mean oh, sorry. <laughs> so a couple of things, I think, like I said earlier, we're focusing on bringing high quality products. And frankly, over the years with our product being outsourced and the, the company being sold and in a variety of corporate hands, the product was suffering. By the time I got the brand back, it, it was suffering. And so we went back to our basics and that's the pecan, which is, I know I'm biased, but it's the most delicious nut. It's the only snack nut native to this country. Most people don't know that. 90, 80 to 90% of the world's production of pecans are in the US and Georgia is the number one pecan producing state. So that's really our strength. And so making sure that we are providing the absolute freshest, best quality, recent crop pecans. So we buy fresh crop pecans every year. We sell through them by year's end. And so we're constantly providing the best pecans you're gonna buy in the number one state for producing pecans in the entire, the number one place in the world for producing pecans. So it really starts with what do we do uniquely well? And everything we make is around that nut. All of our core product line, the pralines, the divinity, the cheekans, which are cheese straws with pecans in them, uh, pecan log rolls, uh, the gophers, which are also known as turtles. But everything we do revolves around the pecan. And then this great thing, my dad loves this, it's called hunky-dory and it's like Cracker Jack, only we put pecans in it. <laughs> and we don't have a we don't have a little prize. We thought about a prize, but then we thought about all the liability issues. So the lawyer in me is kicking in like, what if some kid chokes on a plastic something or other? So we dispensed with the, with the prize. <laughs> so let's talk about the value of of being a homegrown brand, of being a brand that that values their relationship with their home state and and with our country, right? I think the, yeah. the road tripping, you know, is yes. a is 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 a United States phenomenon that that grew up here, just like your brand grew up here, and and I think you emphasize the value of your relationship with the state of Georgia, with the farmers in the state of Georgia, 
but also with things like Route 66 and, yes. and the history of, of the United States of, you know, people on the road trip and that nostalgia is, is part of the value that you are reviving. Absolutely. We're about the South, but not so much being colloquial, but just that sense of warmth and hospitality that I think is really unique to our region. So being a welcoming, hospitable brand is something that we really pride ourselves on. And I think that is wrapped up in us being a Southern brand, which I think plays well no matter what part of the country you visit. And then, like you said, American, but small town America in particular. We were started in a small town. Our candy plant is in Renz, Georgia, population 2,900. We haven't even hit the 3,000 mark yet. <laughs> and we're in manufacturing and we're making stuff ourselves. And I think all of those are just really important concepts that so many people can connect and embrace with, embrace. And to really have sticking power, a brand needs to be about more than just selling. So we're not just selling a pecan log roll. It's not just about the product. It's not even just about selling pecans, although I love them and I think they're special and unique to this country, but it's about building community. And our community is the road trip. Our community is exploring small town America. Our community is driving along Route 66 and stopping at the Yukon flour mill, which I posted about this week. So it's building community. And that's how you go beyond just selling the product, but creating an emotional lasting, hopefully lasting connection. Oh, love that. Well, I think one of the other things that, that you've done that many wouldn't do or, or don't do is uh, a level of authenticity, a level of vulnerability in, yeah. in, you know, admitting where, where things really were when you, when you took, took over and, and how challenging the, the growth has been. There's growth, but yet we're still, still not out of the woods. Um, that vulnerability is, is pretty rare. And I think that's an advantage I have from not growing, uh, coming up in my career in a corporate environment where I think all of that inclination to put yourself out there just gets sucked out of you in large part. That's not something they teach in business school, how to be creative, how to be vulnerable. Vulnerability and authenticity and honesty all go hand in hand. You, you cannot be vulnerable unless you're honest. And how I came about it was very early on in buying Stuckies, like you referenced, the stores, some of them are dilapidated. Uh, most of them look good. Some of them look really good and some of them look not so good at all. And we're still trying to work with the ones that need improvement but we don't own or operate them. So we, we're limited in, in capacity to support the licensed locations. But I was going on a road trip and posting about the stores and I was trying to take photos at a certain angle where they would look halfway decent and, or just photograph the stores that looked really good. And my, and we were getting emails from people saying, oh, I stopped at your location in X place and it, it looked terrible. And so my vice president said, this, this is not good. We do not need to encourage people to stop at the stores. And I said, but we need the money. Like we're operating at a deficit. If they don't stop at the stores, how do we, how do we get to profitability? I mean, it's this catch 22. And then he said, but the stores don't look good. So, and you're out there weaving this fanciful tale of how wonderful the stores are when some of them just aren't. 
And I said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to put it out there. I'm just going to say what the stores look like. And so I posted a picture of what a store actually looked like. I said, let's just, let's just, let's just put it out there. And I, it, this was right at the heart of, of COVID hitting and the economy was bad and George Floyd had just been murdered. And so the black lives matter and there had erupted, there was civil unrest. I mean, it was just a really hard time. And I posted this photo of a former Stuckies that was looking really bad, but it was still in operation. And I said, this is, this is what our company is like today. And we're on hard times, but just like this economy, we're going to rebound. And I believe in this country and I believe in this brand and we're going to make a comeback. I hope you'll join us on that journey. It was a pretty short post. And it was interesting because that was really sort of my aha moment that maybe this can actually work because before then I posted on LinkedIn before then I would get 20 little likes for a post. I had like a thousand followers, all of which were related to my work in sustainability or politics. And so, you know, I was used to getting the usual 20 likes and I had the notice on my phone. Right. And I started getting ding, 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 ding. And I had to cut the notice off. And I looked and by the end of the day, it was like 10,000 likes. I mean, it was insane. Like people were going crazy saying, oh my gosh, Stuckies is making a comeback. Wow. And we believe in you and you can do this and don't get down about it. And I mean, to this day, that post, I pinned it to my profile. It's had over a million engagements. <laughs> so the point being, that moment of extreme vulnerability, which was frankly out of desperation because my vice president was like, people are pulling over and these stores look bad. And you're saying, you know, you're reading this tale. And he was right. I was saying, Hey, come, come stop at Stuckey's. And some of them weren't so great. And so I just put it out there and I said, we need some TLC and people responded to that. Well, and I think, like you said, taking advantage of the nostalgia and and tapping into it and saying, hey, we want to come back. I think America loves a comeback story. They love the yes. underdog and and they want to they want to root for especially an underdog that they know, an underdog that I I've been in one of those. I've 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 driven, you know, parked in there yeah. and and, you know, we bought a pecan log. And and, and so right. just, there's just enough connection that that you can tap into. So you That's mentioned a great way of putting it just enough connection because I recognize I don't have these delusions of grandeur as they say that we're holiday Inn or McDonald's. I, I know we're, we're sort of small time on the whole scheme of retail companies, but we were a national brand in our prime. And I think there's still a certain recognition. So we're definitely tapping into that. I think it's fantastic. So in, in that extreme vulnerability, obviously you found that being honest in your message is, is impactful and, and creates more opportunity rather than taking it away. And so I, I think that, that that's so important, right? And now it's allowed you to, to share almost everything, right? I think you're pretty, yeah. you're pretty open on your LinkedIn posts and, and the stories you share. Well, I also need content <laughs> because I follow Gary Vee. I really admire his story. And 
I think he's got great advice. And the wonderful thing about him, he democratizes what he does. I mean, yes, he charges large corporations, huge amounts of money to retain him, but he puts a lot of his stuff out there for free, just for people like you and I who are figuring it out. And he says post all the time. Now I can't post as much as he says, but I certainly use him for inspiration. And I post every day and I try to post something that's substantive. And so you got to come up with stuff every day. So you put out there what you're doing. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And and I think obviously your your engagement is continuing to increase. And so that's always hopefully it is. hopefully not yeah. just engaged on LinkedIn. Hopefully they're all going out and shopping too. Oh, sales sales are coming. I I also adhere to Gary V's philosophy on that. It's punch, 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 jab. <laughs> where the punches are storytelling and talking about the brand and then you'll hit them with a jab. And I'm about to put a post about mother's day. So nice. Absolutely. We, we need people to buy our product, but people don't want to be sold to. <laughs> well, it's true I, in, at any level, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's okay. I mean, like, look, we always have to be selling. I a hundred percent agree with that. And a certain amount of that is, is an expectation, especially if you're on LinkedIn, but, but you need to do it in a way that is a win-win. Here's something we can offer you that's going to make your life interesting. And here's something useful or here's something that's going to revive a feeling in you. And so it's it's a relationship. It's not transactional. Oh, I love that. That's so valuable. I, I want to dig into that a little more just because typical candy company would consider themselves transactional right the kids got a quarter i got a candy bar <laughs> that's the that's the end of the relationship some, i mean but there's some great brands out there i think of c's candy i just love that brand and i love following their journey they have a great social media presence moon pie there's some good ones out there moon pie pat egan wow. is the uh, ceo of c's candy and I have had the pleasure of meeting him at a candy convention. He's just been an incredibly uh, generous person, uh, generous with his time. Like he chatted with me for quite a while at this reception. And so I've been following their journey ever since. And so I, I think that there are a lot of brands out there that are about creating connection. And a lot of them tend to be the brands that have been around for a hundred years. Mm -hmm. They're around that long for a reason. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned a, a mentor. Let's let's talk about the power of, of mentors in in your own growth as a as a CEO and and of course in allow helping you to, to grow the company. Well, I know a lot of CEOs have coaches and formal relationships. Uh, we don't have the financing for that. And I don't have a lot of time for that. So I have more ad hoc where I seek advice from so many different sources. I'm a podcast listener. I watch YouTube videos, I read books, and I do have some people I really admire and respect who I'll call and turn to, but not on a super formal basis. Uh, one I, uh, that comes to mind, I met with him last week, is Michael Coles, who founded the Great American Cookie Company and went on to be CEO of Caribou Coffee. And he was in Georgia politics, so I know him through that. He ran for office a couple of times and just a, a real self-made man and an incredible entrepreneur. And so. And he's in my space, you know, he's in the food beverage space. So he has been incredibly helpful in sort of distilling some of the issues that we've had and breaking them down and helping me figure out 
where I need to go. I found the smart mentors or the good mentors. They help you figure things out for yourself. They don't tell you what to do. They ask you questions that guide you into figuring it out in a way that makes sense for you. That's so good. Right? I mean, that, that, that is a real difference. A, yes. a good mentor draws it out of you rather than just telling you what they would do. And usually they're drawing it out in a way that you do understand what they would do based on their experience, but it comes, it's, it, you're, you're going to accept it more, even though I totally respect the people I seek advice from, but when you feel like, yeah, that's what I, that's what I would do. You're ever, it's just human nature. Sure. You want to figure it out for yourself in part. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. So I know that your father was a mentor in business and, and, and an influence in, in your life, but he'd already stepped away from Stuckey's for quite a while before you, before you bought the brand, but he still had ownership stake. Right? That's right. And, and did he try to step in and, and help you or how did that relationship go? <laughs> Family businesses are complicated. My Father was still involved and remained involved, but just on a limited basis because he was in his 80s when I bought the company. He still is in his 80s. And so his involvement was limited. And I, I have to say, initially, he was not supportive. And maybe that's too harsh a word. He, he was supportive in his way, but when you get into family businesses, there's the personal relationship in addition to the business relationship. And there's a bit of protector role in there where he was rightfully concerned. I didn't have experience running a company and here I am sinking my life savings into running this company. And I'm a single mom with two teenage kids and he's concerned as a dad. And I remember sitting down with him to seek his blessing to buy half the company initially. And he said, you've never even run a lemonade stand. What makes you think you can run Stuckey's? Ouch. Ouch. And it, it he, I, you have I to know the relationship, right? But it, it was protective. It was I, I deal with clients all the time whose limiting beliefs have been established by a parent making that same exact statement yeah. at any level. And so it's, it's really a parent putting a limiting belief on their child by, by, by trying to protect them. And so it abs it's absolutely yeah. instinctive. It's absolutely the same exact words probably that many parents have spoken to their children who said, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start a business. Mm -hmm. You've never even run an lemonade stand or sold newspapers. <laughs> exactly. But we all, we all take in messages the way we want to hear them, right? Absolutely. You, you interpret what other people say to you in a way that's very personal to you, especially if it's a family member and especially if it's your father and you're taking on the business that his father founded and that he helped run at one point. And I took it more as, are you up for this challenge? 
Good for you. I'm going to throw this statement at you, and it's a pretty harsh statement. And if you still want to do the company after I laid this out, and there was a longer conversation where we went through the financials, and he's like, this is not doing well. You do know this is not doing well. And you do you realize what you're doing? And this is not a good decision. And and then when I did it, I was more determined than ever <laughs> that I was going to make it. And I went into it a lot more with eyes wide open. I have to say that conversation was so incredibly helpful to me because I wasn't coming into it thinking, la, 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 it's going to be fine. It just hasn't had a lot of attention because he went through some of the things that he had been working on and some of the things that he had tried that didn't work. And so the ideas that I had, he nodded his head and said, yeah, we've tried that. <laughs> so it was, it, it was incredibly helpful. And when I turned around within six months and was turning a profit and I sent him that financial statement showing that we were profitable, he said, I knew you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. I, I love that A, he was a protective father. I, I wonder where he stood on the brand, right? And, and wanting the brand to survive and yet knowing that it's so near death that that I don't want my daughter to get stuck with this. We, it's interesting, you know, because we've we've talked about the brand because when he bought Stuckey's, he was running Interstate Dairy Queen Corporation. He had the franchise rights to Dairy Queen stores on the U.S. interstate highway system. Huge company. He founded, tremendously successful. He's a great businessman. And he kept Stuckey's alive by pairing it with Dairy Queen. And I, and I asked him, I said, Dad, why didn't you let Stuckey's be on its own and you run Stuckey's and Dairy Queen? And he said Stuckey's couldn't make it on its own. And I just disagree. <laughs> I think it's a great brand. But keep in mind, when he bought Stuckey's, it was in the gutter. It was even more, I mean, it was bad. It had been trashed by a Chicago railroad conglomerate. It was in very bad shape. So I totally understand what he did. And it's easy for me to look back and say, I might have done things differently. Well, that wasn't me and I wasn't there and I wasn't in his position. And he saved the company and his business partners. And they did a lot of good things. I would not be sitting here today with a Stuckey's t-shirt on were it not for him. But yeah, that's so good. Opinions of the brand. <laughs> totally different opinions of the brand. Well, and 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 I'm glad that you you have a vision for what it can be and, and yeah. what, you, what you believe it can be. And you're not tied to some of the things that were probably holding the brand back from, from being able to, to come out of its, you know, the doom and gloom state. Um, and so I think yeah. the fact that you didn't work in the business provided you free reign to dream and imagine all of these possibilities that everybody else was already stuck in a box that they couldn't see. Well, the other really smart thing was bringing in a business partner, like I referenced earlier. Not only did he have financial acumen, but my business partner, RG is his name, RG Lamar Jr. But he had a different view of the brand. And that definitely shaped the vision for the company because we're equal owners. And so I can't just go charging off on a white horse and do what it, whatever I want. <laughs> There's two of us who run this thing and we have a board that also keeps us in check. And so he he had some definite views about how we need to grow the brand with the sale of the product and 
help help me understand a different perspective of the brand. So jointly, I think we really shaped it. And then we 100% listen to what consumers say, and we pay attention to posts on social media. We can't afford marketing surveys, but like Gary Vee says, you've already got a marketing survey. Read your comments on LinkedIn and on Facebook and Twitter. What do people say to you? And so we, we take that feedback in as well, and that helps guide the direction of the company. Now, obviously, you bought the company at a, at a it's still fairly large stage, right? It's not exactly a mom and pop operation, even when you take it back over. So what have been some of the blessings of, of being an entrepreneur and a mom and, and, and building, rebuilding the business around your family, or at least rebuilding your role as CEO around your family? Well, I, Stucky's, well, it's definitely a family brand and I'm the third generation to be CEO. I'm very mindful of not forcing my children to feel like they have to grow up and run Stuckies. What I do want them to have an understanding of is that they will have ownership of Stuckies. I fully intend to hopefully leave a very profitable company to them, but they may not necessarily be the ones to run it. And I think it's a mistake I see time and time again in family run businesses where just because you have the last name or you're, you've got the, the genes, you won the, as my dad says, they won the fallopian tube lottery. <laughs> you know, you've got the gene pool, but that's about it. That doesn't mean you're the best qualified. And there's lots of examples of family businesses that have gone on to outside management and are very successful and still have family ownership. And there's examples, and I'll give you one because I, I just joined their board. It's a wonderful company, Bell's department store chain in Florida and the fourth generation, Matt Bell just took over and he's been at it a little over a year. Of course, I'm new to the board, but by all accounts, he's doing a terrific job and he grew up in the business and he and he earned that right. It wasn't just handed to him. So you see examples of both. So I just think it's important in family businesses to be open minded about what does that mean to really be a family business? Does it mean you can have family values, which I think is uh, too often a loaded word that connotes a certain political persuasion, which I try hard for us to not be a political brand, even though I have a background in politics. I want us to be a very welcoming brand, but I want to be a brand that's family friendly. So that means we're not going to try to we, we don't want anything that's going to be offensive. I'm not we're not a snarky, sarcastic brand. We're we're not going to tell, you know, inappropriate jokes or, you know. We're not going to cuss. <laughs> We're not going to sell certain products that would not be, I would not want my kids to see in a store. So that to me is what family means is embracing the concept of that. I want a store where a family can pull over and the dad or mom is not going to be embarrassed that they took their family to see to in this place. Oh, that's so good. So let's dig a little deeper in values and, and how values play out from your personal values into the corporate values, the things that are the things that matter, the things that are non-negotiables in, in your mind, like cussing or products that, you know, yeah. you consider inappropriate. I think just honesty is really at the core of everything we do. And if you're open and upfront with people, then they're going to treat you in kind. And I'll give a specific example right after 
I brought in my business partner. We were reviewing our accounts payable. And when I bought the company, we we were in arrears, as I said. And so we had a lot of we had a lot of creditors. And so we had done something that I thought was really smart. And I would love to take credit. Our CFO started this program. We call it a thousand dollar club. And so we would call people we'd owed money to. And we hadn't talked to them in a while. We were kind of skirting them. And we said, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're still around. And congrats, you're in the thousand dollar club. We know we owe you $12,000. We're going to pay you back in a year. And we're going to pay you a thousand a month. And they were usually, well, actually, they were all excited. Not a single one was uh, pushed back on that one. They were getting their money. And so we were going through the list of accounts payable. And one of them, we owed a good bit of money to. My business partner said, well, what about them? Are they in the $1,000 club? And there was a pause. And they said, well, no, they haven't, they haven't asked for the money. We haven't gotten an invoice from them in months. So maybe they've forgotten. And I'm not I'm not saying this to cast aspersions on the team because they've been operating in scarcity mode for a long time, survival mode. So I get it. We're we're I'm very um scarcity is very real when you can't pay the bills. It's real. It's real. That feeling is real. So I I I I mean to cash cash flow is king and running a business and it's so tight. And we those early days it was so tight. I get it. So, but, but my business partner said, we don't do business that way. We're going to call them. We're going to tell them our situation. If we can't afford to put them in a thousand dollar club, let's pay them what we can, but let's, let's tell them what our situation is and tell them we haven't gotten an invoice from them in a while and let's fix this. They're saving the paper. <laughs> yeah. So that's values right there. Oh, absolutely. You're the first new member of the $500 club. Yeah, <laughs> right? We can't afford the $1,000 club, but we want to pay you. It's just the golden rule, right? You Absolutely. treat people the way you want to be treated. You do that in life. You do that in business. And well, for me, business is life. It's what I do. It communicates, it communicates that that sent a message not only to the vendor, but that sent a message to your team. Yeah. And it was my business partner. It was RG who, who said that because I, true confession, I was sitting there going, okay, they haven't asked for the invoice. <laughs> we can wait. <laughs> if they haven't invoiced us in a while. Okay. Next. Oh, absolutely. That yeah. it, it can be challenging. So I know obviously the CEO role is super busy and, and being a mom and, and all of those things. What, what routines do you use for yourself to, to take care of yourself, to, to set yourself up for success? I think I have a lot of the same ones that most people do. I live by list. I wake up every morning and I do a, make a list. And some people are comfortable. I, I was talking to one of our board members who said he has sticky notes everywhere. That would drive me crazy. I would lose them. The <laughs> adhesive would fall off. And I like to have a computer program. So I use the Microsoft to-do tools because it enables you to have different lists. So I have a personal list. I have a work to do list. I have lists that are related to the candy plant lists related to distribution. So I like doing the subcategories, but you can highlight all of the ones that are super important. And so every morning I go through the, the task list and then you can click my day. So you can add those to your day. And the best thing about this list, this 
program is that when you click that you've done something, it makes a little bell sound. Celebrate. Ding. I love that. So <laughs> I think that's important. Um, I do routines become habits, which become ingrained in how you do things. So I really do try to stick to getting up in the morning. I try to get up by six. Sometimes it's five, sometimes it's 6.30, but I'm, I'm usually out of the bed by 6.30 at the latest. And then first thing I do, make a cup of coffee and I just kind of sit for about 15 minutes and just have quiet. I wouldn't necessarily say it's meditating, but it's just quiet. It's just, if the weather's nice, I'll sit on my porch and just not think about all the things I have to do, but just not think. That's so valuable. You need just a little not think and be very present and, I like being outside in nature and take a lot of time to be in nature. I think that's the most calming thing you can do. And it puts things in perspective and it connects you with yourself and with the world around you. So I just really try to take that time. And then I exercise. So I do some form of physical exercise every day, sometimes more than others, but something every day. Nice. So we you mentioned your kids. What what do you love to do in your free time? What do you love to do with your kids? Well, I I really they're at the age when your kids hit teenage years and they're 19 and 16 and my son's taking a gap year. So he's home this year. He he is at Auburn University, but I find at this age I'm just so grateful that they want to spend time from with me when when they were younger you come up with all these activities, but at this age, I, I try to heed what they want to do and follow their interest and cultivate that. So my daughter loves film and she likes to see artsy movies. So we'll do that. Uh, they both like to go out in nature. They both like to hike. And fortunately they both enjoy road tripping. So I'll take them on road trips. So I'll, I'll do with them what they enjoy doing. They both like to cook. Nice. So we'll cook together. We made dinner last night. That's fun. Yeah. So you just squeeze in the times when you can. Absolutely. So on that note, as, as a busy CEO, as, as an executive, even lawyer, politician, how important is play and fun? Oh, it's important. But I also find if you're really passionate about what you do, a lot of times those lines blur, but yeah, you do have to, you, you have to really think about what you enjoy doing that can make, help free your mind up. And I love, I love to go see live music. I have good friends and thank God live music's back. So I'll go see a band with some friends. I'll do a little mini road trip with friends. So I, I just went on a really fun road trip with one of my very good girlfriends and I hadn't spent time with her in about a year. We just had the best time. It's a week before Thanksgiving and we went to the Gulf Shores and it was combined with work because I got some sponsorships to stay at certain places as long as we were writing blogs about them. So she would sleep late or hang out on the beach and I, I would go take photos and write my blogs. Uh, but it was great. So it was kind of a merging of fun and, and work, but in a fun way. Nice. So let's talk about being the author of, of a blog and, and the value that that's added. Well, it's just a creative expression for me and I enjoy that. I enjoy reading. I read every night and I've always got a nonfiction and a fiction book going at any given time. And 
I do short, I do long form post on LinkedIn, which is like a mini blog. And then there's also, a, we call it the Stuckey's Pecan blog role. Now, true confession, I do have a blog writer who helps with that. Some of those I do myself, some, but most of them he does. And then I do guest blogs as well. And I'm working on a book. I've got three chapters written, but I'm rewriting them already. <laughs> yeah, if, they you, nag if, at me. The, the editor, the editor turns on and <laughs> goes backwards. Yeah, I think every great writer started out as a bad writer with the first draft, and then you just keep honing and honing and honing it. I'm sure there's some people who just spit out perfect works of art, but that's not me. <laughs> I think they're pretty rare. I don't know. Yeah, but I enjoy it. I, I enjoy the art of writing. I love the written word. I love the spoken word. I love to hear people read works aloud. So I, I, I'll go to events, spoken word events, storytelling events. It's all nice. storytelling. Love that. Well, and I love the stories that you tell in the, especially when you're sharing the history and you're sharing, because I think you always tie the history to the present and say, we want to honor yeah. this history, but we want to, you know, this is where we're going. This is, this is the future. And, and presenting that future in a way that, that pulls people in and says, man, I need to order something. Thank you. Yeah, people need to relate. And if you're just talking about the past, it, it loses its relevance. Well, you need a way to say, hey, don't forget to order this box. And it includes socks and it includes a pecan roll. Yeah, sometimes I do that. And sometimes I'll just I'll just stick to this is a storytelling post. Sure. And then I'll do, this is a sales post, just flat out. This is a sales post. We want you to buy some stuff. And those posts don't get nearly the engagement, but as long as I, I get some sales and, and I'll, I'll look at the metrics and typically we will see a boost in sales if I do a sales post, but you do too many of them and you're, you're going to, you're going to start seeing a dip in that. Right. Well, it's like you mentioned earlier, the, the jab, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay to sell. Like Facebook has a shop. Instagram has a shop. LinkedIn is all about business. And so to a certain extent, you're on those sites. That's the expectation. Well, you know, everybody understands that this is a business. And at some point they understand deeper down, maybe that the business yeah. has to sell something to stay in business. Yeah. Absolutely. So we've talked about the value of family and, and some of those, the value of honesty. How has, how has gratitude served you and, and helped you through this journey? A lot. I think it's so important to write down what you're grateful for. That's a tip I got from Oprah, but she's not the only one, but I love Oprah. And she says, keep a gratitude journal. And even if it's something so basic, like I'm just grateful that I got up today and I was breathing <laughs> because you shouldn't take that for granted. And so just find something to be grateful for. And it just helps you put it into perspective. It's human nature to be overwhelmed by the negative experiences. It's amazing if something bad happens to you in a day, but you have 10 good things you really get bogged down by that one bad thing. And so focusing on gratitude helps you turn that around and say, no, you've got it all wrong. The focus is what is right, what is good, what is working. And that's what's going to propel you forward. 
we just had a huge setback this week trying to figure out financing for our expansion and we're having to pivot and come up with a new plan. And I could have easily just been very morose about the whole situation, but I just turned into action mode and figuring out what our different options are. And we've got some good options that are really encouraging. So I choose to be grateful. I choose to focus on what's a positive and I choose to focus on how we can move this brand forward instead of dwelling on what didn't work. That didn't work. So, so, so powerful. Are, are Over next. That one didn't work. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the two parts in that yeah. is, is that a, you didn't focus on the negative because I think the focusing on the negative is an excuse for not taking action. Whereas focusing yeah. on possibility says, like you said, next, what's the next step? Yeah. I need to take an, I need to do an action. Yeah. And so many people are stuck sitting on the, on their desk and, and saying, well, that didn't work. Now what? Rather than getting out and stepping up and saying, I got to find the next step. I got to find the next option. I got to find possibility because possibilities exist in the positive. That's right. Absolutely. All right, Stephanie, what inspires you? I think just seeing other entrepreneurs who have bootstrapped it. I'm, I really appreciate people who make it the old fashioned way, not selling out, not, and this is not to bash private equity. It's just not a good fit for me. It's not what I'm interested in, but people who really make it through hard work and maybe getting some friends and family money, but, and it, and get some financing, get some debt financing, but they're really doing it themselves. They're not selling out. They're not trying to see, well, how quick can we turn a profit and then sell this to private equity? You know, we're all about the return on investment. The ones who are bootstrapping it, who are looking at building something of lasting value. And I, I think about this, although they did recently just sell out to a large corporation, but they built the brand for decades through bootstrapping it, which is MailChimp, which is an Atlanta-based email platform. And uh, Ben Chestnut, I listened to one of his interviews, How I Built This. And that's a great, that's one of my favorite podcasts. And just hearing his story about how they just built it slowly and organically and they they knew their niche and they were focusing on small businesses and they thought that there was a place for small businesses who really needed help with their email platform and how can they provide the services that they need. And so that to me inspires how uh, I want to run Stuckies. Oh, I love it. And, and really, it's honoring your grandpa who bootstrapped Stuckey's. I mean, starting on the side of the road right outside the yeah, farm. Yeah, right? he bootstrapped it. Yeah. He got loans from local banks, community banks, but they were all, it was always dirt that, debt that he could service. He never overextended himself to the point that he didn't have the cash flow and the sales to make sure he was just not burdened in, uh, with debt. So he did in a way that was smart and grew the company, not too fast, just right. I think scaling is one of the biggest challenges with entrepreneurs. That's a book I just finished, by the way, uh, Masters of Scale by Reid Hoffman. It was one of the founders of Netflix. That's a really great book that delves into all of these great companies, big companies that we would all recognize and how they learned to scale and how they navigated that. And 
So highly recommend that. So businesses that are able to scale in a way that makes sense really inspires me. And I'm nice. somewhat obsessed with that issue right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're kind of living in the heart of it. I'm living it. Yeah. yeah. And and you've taken taking control in the places where your business didn't have control, right? Buying your own candy plant, buying your own yeah. packaging, changing, you know, the way that the company had been doing outsourcing um, so much. And and I think somewhere down the road you're going to be doing something to to bring these franchises back up in, in some way that 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 makes the brand incredible, equal yeah. across the board. And and so I see all those things coming in the future that is going to continue to be more consistent and more exciting and and more impactful for for the brand in all the places where where the brand continues to to shine. I hope so. I will correct you. It's we, they're licensed. They're not franchised. Oh, okay. So we have very limited control over the stores right now, deliberately, just because that's where we are with our capacity. So we we do not have a franchise program. Uh, it's very limited licensing for 68 locations. They pay us a modest fee and have access to our product. And so for now, that's working for us. Sure. But but even there, it's the, the you've already made the relationships better by making the products better and, and yes, giving them motivation so. to, to honor the brand in a higher level, because look at the, look at the, the higher level the products represent now. So absolutely. Lots of exciting things, I think for the future. I agree. Um, <laughs> so I'm excited for you. All right. So what's the big dream? I think a couple of things, uh, short term, we want to make the pecan, America's snack nut. And we want Stuckey's to be the go-to brand for the pecan, all things pecan. So snack nuts primarily, but also pecan candies. And then as we continue to grow the brand to elevate the road trip, which is so integral to what Stuckey's is all about, and ultimately have a handful of corporate owned stores that would be more destination experiential locations that would be brand forward, present our products. They could be somewhat of a test case for different product items. You know, ideally I see us having maybe three to five of these location stores and they'd really celebrate the road trip. So that's sort of my vision short term and short term, I'm talking maybe three to five and maybe longer up to 10 years, like elevate, elevate the pecan and continue to do that. And then when we're when we're in a financial and capacity position to get a handful of these corporate owned stores would be really just wonderful. That's so exciting. Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom and, and just uh, your vulnerability in, in taking over and rebuilding the Stuckey's brand. Robert, it's been my pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode... Jeannie Boland shares the power of de a desire. Her first was wanting candy, which drove her to sell earthworms to bait shops. She's a passionate writer and supporter of authors, creating a network for authors to share their stories and increase awareness. Her secret power has been in her ability to replicate herself. And if you don't like doing something, hire someone else to do it.